This is Shayla Adams-Stafford, and you're listening to PBL in Practice. Thank you again for tuning in to Project-Based Learning in Practice. I'm your host, Shayla Adams-Stafford, and I am an educator and coach who travels the world training and teaching folks about project-based learning and how to implement it well within their classrooms. I have worked for the past 10 years in project-based learning, and I actually had the chance to speak at the White House on how project-based learning really impacts all students. And so if you haven't already, take a moment, head over to www.pblnpractice.com where you can get some great freebies, listen to past episodes, and sign up for some virtual coaching if that's something that you need right now in your PBL journey. Well, let's jump into our guest for today. Our guest for today is Dana Lauer, a veteran PBL educator and co-founder of Project ARC a professional learning organization dedicated to tailoring PD to meet the needs of districts who want to move toward a more authentic, relevant, and complex approach to learning. She is also a published author of six books on PBL, with her two newest books released this past September, Authentic Project-Based Learning in Grades 4-8, through Standards-Based Strategies and Scaffolds for Success, and the Vertically Aligned 9-12 through version of the same book. Currently, she is co-writing a new book for ASCD with her Project Art co-founder, Tim Kubik. Tentatively, the book is titled Triangulate, What Works When Working to Learn. Let's jump into our interview for today. Dana, we just heard a bit about your background, but what else should our listeners know about you? Well, uh, kind of a little known um, tidbit about me is that I actually really enjoy riding horses. Um, It was a hobby that I discovered about four years ago after spending hours and hours at the barn ever since my two girls were very little um, and watching them taking lessons. And so I decided, you know, a little bit before I turned 40 years old, I wanted to try riding too. And um, riding horses really keeps me grounded. And uh, in my mind, there's really nothing more satisfying than making a 1,200-pound animal turn on a dime or stop with only one hoof over a ground pole. You know, for me, it's not about jumping really high or going super fast. It's about the, the little mechanics that um, is really just satisfying, uh, especially when you're overworked and really tired from the week. Um, just trying to get away at the barn is great. That sounds really cool. That's something I need to put on my bucket list. I don't think I've ever ridden a horse before, so (laughs) I'm going to have to try. So thank you for joining us today. And we're going to be chatting about PBL and your work in project-based learning, which you have a ton of just great knowledge and resources. So let's jump into what actually brought you to project-based learning. Well, you know, I think when I started teaching, I was already predisposed to what we call project-based learning because I really always focused on student-driven learning where my learners were the active participants in the classroom. Um, I was never one for really standing up in front of the classroom for any length of time. And I guess really what happened, though, as the course of my career evolved, is I often found that my students completed the work that I assigned because they really liked me as a teacher or they wanted a good grade. Now, don't get me wrong. I had some really wonderful individual lessons, and some of those lessons, I won awards for them. However, in reflection, they were just lessons that had no real connection 
between the content and the world outside the classroom. So I decided that I wanted something more for my learners, and I started doing PBL in my classes before I really even knew that project-based learning was a thing. Um, I'd never actually heard of project-based learning. I'd never taken a training. I'd never read a book. Um, For me, it was really a natural evolution of my teaching style. And then, you know, kind of as my own discoveries happened, I started to stumble across different books and um, information on PBL. And I thought, oh, wow, what I do in my classroom actually has a name. Right. (laughs) I think that so many teachers find their entry into project-based learning to be similar to yours, where they're looking for that authentic connection and they're just creating these projects and they're like, wow, this actually is something. There's a name for this and it's PBL. (laughs) So that's cool. Thank you so much. Now, talk to us a bit about what you feel your PBL superpower is. Well, for me, I really think it's writing a launch question for an authentic project learning experience. And I can literally do it in seconds, um, even if I'm not really familiar with the content area. So for example, um, in December, I was at a conference here in Pennsylvania where I live, and they had uh, a keynote speaker that was talking about the focus of agricultural systems in the the next decade. And the conference was on um, work-based learning and what Pennsylvania teachers needed to do to really connect to their um, students to the world of work. And so as he was speaking, within just a, a matter of a couple of minutes, I had written no fewer than 10 possible launch questions that I could um, use if I were in the classroom, whether I was an ELA teacher, a science teacher, a math teacher. You know, for me, I was a social studies teacher. And these questions just came very, very quickly to me. And it so happened that the keynote speaker was in my audience during my session um, later on that day. And so I shared those questions and he just absolutely loved it. So I, I think that's my PBL superpower. That's awesome. What would you say, Dana, is kind of your secret sauce to coming up with those questions so quickly or just being able to have the insight to come up with a really strong launch question? Well, you know, it's all about being actionable um, Mm. and thinking about how that content really connects with the real world. Um, And so, you know, as he was speaking, I immediately saw what he was saying as a challenge. And so reframing his statements as questions came very quickly to me. Nice. That's awesome. So talk to us a bit about a breakthrough PBL moment that you've had. Well, you know, it it actually kind of relates to my ability, I think, to write those launch questions. So my breakthrough moment really came when I realized that by putting the word create into my project questions didn't mean that I was actually having my learners create anything new. Mm. Um, It occurred to me after, um, I, I wouldn't call it a failure, but an aha moment in my classroom when I had my AP government students create a presentation for the ninth grade civics classes. Now, my, what you would call driving question was something along the lines of how can we create a presentation to take, to teach the civics classes about 
And honestly, I can't even remember what the required content was for the presentations because that's how bad the project was. Um, <laughs> what, what I do remember very vividly was that my 11th and 12th grader students came back and said to me, you know, Mrs. Lauer, you wasted our time on this project. Mm. And they articulated that the ninth graders cared absolutely nothing about their presentations. And really, they were right. It was boring information that the ninth graders could have read on, um, you know, just in any online resource. And then from there on out, I, I changed the way that I framed my questions to what I called launch questions, because I think it's really important to notice that I don't um, call them driving questions anymore, like PBL practitioners often right. do. Um, because I believe that driving questions are often written at a very low level of Bloom's taxonomy. Um, you know, frequently I'll read a driving question in a standard PBL project, and I know right away that I can Google the answer or that the question simply calls for a yes, no response. And so these driving questions to me are really what I would call research papers in disguise, just mm -hmm. like the project that my students presented to the civics classes. You know, launch questions, on the other hand, are those actionable questions that require the highest level of Bloom's creation to be addressed. So rather than consumers of information that's regurgitated, our learners now become producers of new information. Wow, Dana, you just dropped so much knowledge just in that one question that I hope our listeners really take in everything that you said there. And the part that really stuck out to me was really the the part of raising the level of complexity of our driving questions that they are, for the most part, a lot of them in that lowest level of Bloom's taxonomy, if we don't push ourselves as practitioners to really think about what it would mean to create a question that's going to sustain student inquiry, right? And I love the idea of a launch question because this is just a starting question. There may be more questions that we develop as we move through this project, um, but this is where we're starting from. And uh, just really that realization that, you know, when we're asking students to create something, uh, to create something that we could possibly Google, you know, what are we actually asking them to do? Uh, so I really love your perspective there. Yeah. You know, I, I just read, um, I believe it was on, on one of the Facebook groups that, that you and I are both in, you know, I think the question was, how can I create a living wax museum for a particular time period? Well, you know, once the kids create that living wax museum, the information that they're going to share in that is simply going to be that very low level blooms information that they right. could otherwise write in a research paper. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I hope our listeners, you know, really take hold of that, that, that thought there. That was awesome. So talk to me a bit about what has been your most challenging PBL moment. Well, you know, as I, I started out this particular moment, I thought it was going to be one of my greatest all-time PBL moments. Um, and in retrospect, I, I made a lot of missteps in execution. So I developed a cross-curricular project um, years ago. And I think the key phrase there is I developed. Um, mm. And I invited one of the English teachers that, that I worked with to join in. 
And he agreed and seemed very excited. But keep in mind that I planned the entire project. (laughs) After three days into the implementation, I had students that were crying. You know, teenagers are sobbing and they're begging me to stop working on the project because the other class was really not invested in the project as much as they were. Um, and now our kids did not have the the same time period where they met. So they were communicating online and the feedback that had already started from the other students was really rude. And those students had not completed portions that they were supposed to have done at that point. And it was really hard for me to let go of that project, um, even though we had just started it, because I truly believed in the potential of it. But after another day or two and some more tears and some more begging, I, I finally realized that my students were right. We abandoned the project altogether. I learned a valuable lesson. Um, always co-plan if you want to work with another teacher on a project so that they have ownership in the process as well. Wow. And, and you know what? There are so many schools that are implementing interdisciplinary projects as their first project, Right. And I think that's just a key piece of advice right there that seems really obvious, but it's sometimes hard to actually realize. Oh, yeah. And I'm sure that you've probably experienced it as well. When you're when you're training a group of teachers in in a project based learning environment and they say, "Okay, well, I've planned this and I'm going to take it back to my team and have them implement it. You know, that's like red flag immediately going up. Yeah. To say that mm, this first experience may not be exactly what, what you anticipate it will. Yeah, yeah. So, Dana, you have several books that you've written, and you have a, just a ton of knowledge and information about uh, co developing projects. So, if you could just chat with us a bit about your new book with ASCD and really what you view as best practices in co-developing projects. So for me, the most most authentic projects are the ones that are co-created with not only other teachers, but with what I would call technical experts or subject matter experts. So as classroom teachers, unless we have worked in another field previously, we are not true experts in the content that we teach. So for example, I have an undergraduate degree in history, but I never worked as a historian. However, I am an expert in curriculum and instruction, teaching and learning, and instructional systems and design technology because I have degrees in all of those content areas. And I have practiced them for over two decades in the field. So when you think about that co-planning piece with technical experts, that connection between the technical experts and, and educators is really my passion. And in fact, I'm conducting my dissertation research currently on the impact that technical experts play in the PBL process. Hmm. And the book that Tim Kubik, my um, project art partner, ARC partner, um, he and I are writing this ASCD book. Um, We're exploring the connection between teachers, technology, and technical experts to impact student learning positively. Mm. And we really want technical experts to be used in the classroom as more than just a guest speaker who shares information, because then 
that gets to that low level blooms piece again. And mm-hmm. rather what we want is the technical experts in on the planning process of authentic learning project experiences. And we want mm-hmm. technical experts to work with learners to also provide them feedback on their solutions for authentic challenges. Mm. You know, Dana, I think that, you know, this is just a really core part of good PBL is, you know, involving these technical experts. And, and just really, what would you say for a, or what would you say to a, a teacher who, who wants to establish that connection with a technical expert? How do you think they should go about forging that relationship and sort of setting up that relationship for success? Well, some teachers, if you're lucky enough to work in a district that has some sort of a a career counselor, um, you know, that's generally like my first go-to place to say, all right, they already have lots of connections that they can introduce you to. Um, Otherwise, I I like to do a community mapping exercise. um, And in fact, oftentimes we'll go into districts and we actually do the community mapping um, with the teachers to help Mm. identify who those community partners are that actually match with their curriculum and their content um, to really, to go beyond, oh, oh, there's a nursing home down the street um, kind of a thing. Mm. So so starting to dig deeper into what's available in the community. And, and if you're in a smaller community, because believe me, I have worked in the middle of nowhere in the panhandle of Texas, where there are 450 people in the community, only one paved road and zero businesses. Um, you know, also thinking about, okay, well, what's the next community over where we could tap into their resources, um, either virtually or in person. Um, so making those identifications um, and the connections is really imperative uh, at the outset. And then then trying to then contact it and identify the best persons in that group um, or in that organization or in that company um, that is really kind of already um, tapped into how to work with kids. Um, because I think that becomes really important as well. Um, so for example, you know, my husband's an environmental scientist and he is also a coach. Um, he, you know, he coaches high school, uh, softball. So for him to come in as a technical expert, he already knows how to work with kids where someone else in his office, um, may not have some of those types of skills. So it's kind of a twofold identification process. And, you know, for, for Tim and I in writing the book, we're trying to, to really give some good advice on how to make those identifications, how to make those connections and how to work together. And um, if I could also give a little plug this, we're planning our first place ed conference um, in Philly. And our goal is to bring together teachers with technical experts to explore the positive possibilities that come with planning authentic project learning experiences together. Um, So if any of your listeners are interested in joining us, they can always uh, send me an email and get some updates on uh, all our latest planning for that. Yes, yes. I definitely want to include that in the show uh, description and we'll chat a bit more about that in a second where you can 
tell them exactly where they can get information for the conference and sign up and sign up for your newsletter. Uh, definitely, for sure. So I think, thank you for, for that explanation there. And, and I'd love to hear if you have any specific tips for PBL practitioners or organizational tools that have really helped you. Uh, well, actually, I am a huge fan of Headrush, uh, okay. which is a PBL management system that helps to tell the story of learning in a project. And I, I always say to my own kids that my goal for them um, when they leave the house in the morning and they go to school is for them to be able to come home and tell me a story of their learning. Um, unfortunately, it doesn't always happen, but that story of learning, I think, is really important. And Headrush is a platform that has movable task boards, visual to-do lists, um, a portfolio collection, and the ability, importantly, that ability to provide feedback on student artifacts from both a teacher and a technical expert. Um, Headrush's tagline is learning liberated, and I think it really delivers from a PBL standpoint where other learning management systems can be made to fit PBL, um, you know, I've been there, done that, tried most of them, um, but Headrush was designed specifically with PBL in mind. Absolutely. Thank you. So check out Headrush if you haven't uh, in a definitely maybe a great PBL management system uh, to really organize all of the work the students are doing. So Dana, thank you again so much for just coming today and just sharing all of this knowledge and, and really helping to reshape our thinking about connecting with technical experts and also driving and launch questions. Uh, how can folks keep up with you? And also, we'd love to hear more information about the PLACE conference happening in, am I saying that right? PLACE? Well, place? You know, <laughs> Tim, and I, Tim and I have two different ways of saying it. I've been saying it PLACE. He's been saying it PLACE Ed. Um, so I, I, you know, I think it's tomato, tomato, <laughs> either or. or. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, you know, if your listeners want to keep up to date um, on the conference happenings and to be added to our monthly newsletter, so we give tips, tricks, tools, um, just updates on what we're doing, they can send me an email um, to Dana, D A Y N A, um, at P R O J hyphen A R C dot com. Um, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Daylin, D-A-Y-L-Y-N-N, because when I first started on Twitter well over a decade ago, I did not want my students to find me, but they did. <laughs> I realized that I could use it use it for an educational tool as well. Um, or you can find me on LinkedIn. I do post a lot of um, you, you know different updates, uh, a lot of times uh, what's happening in my own children's lives um, at school is kind of fodder for my, my writing on LinkedIn, but you can find me there. Um, or you can check out Project Arc's website as well, www.proj-arc.com. Awesome. Well, thank you again, Dana, for joining us. And I hope our listeners learned a lot. I certainly learned a ton. And uh, have a wonderful week. Oh, thank you so much, Shayla. It's been a pleasure. All right. Bye-bye.
Well, that's all for me today. Thank you all so much for joining us here on PBL in Practice. I hope you learned a lot. I certainly did. If you haven't already, head over to the website www.pblinpractice.com where you can get some free resources, hear past episodes, and also find out how you can work directly with me. Thank you again. I appreciate you listening and have a great week.